How do you tell people how great you are without just telling people how great you are? What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch. I'm your host. I'm joined in studio again by Cody Ringel, the operations lead for Active Life in Long Beach. Well-spoken, well-thought. Cody Ringel, welcome back to the show. Thanks, boss. You're welcome. World traveler. That's true. World traveler, state traveler. State traveler. I've gotten to know New York better. That's true. Over the last month. That's true. After Cody and I wrapped our last podcast that you hopefully listened to, came out on Wednesday. If you haven't listened, go back and listen to it after this one. Uh, we were talking about <clears throat> why I'm drawn to certain figures in history and why I want to be able to exude the kind of confidence and success that they have. And that led to you and I, Cody, discussing my belief that Active Life as a company does incredible work and we need to carry ourselves in a way that better demonstrates that we have confidence behind that work. Less excuse me, less soft, more um, we're fucking great and we know that we are. And... I equated it to a championship team who is unhappy unless they've won. You equated our current mentality to that of an underdog, which I'm also perfectly comfortable with. I think the underdog is kind of who I've been my whole life. And so that makes sense that it's, it's what the identity we have would be. It's just about wanting to be the underdog who relentlessly pursues winning yeah well, i and i would push back on that the on under part? the underdog being helpful anymore i think the oh, underdog got us here mm -hmm. at some stage we have to step into the championship identity and no longer be comfortable being the underdog yeah if you, you know what if you know what it reminds me of if, if you are into football if you were ever into football it's like the eagles Every year they would make it to like the NFC Championship game or the Super Bowl and lose. And they you start to just expect them to lose until they won the Super Bowl, what, two, three years ago, four years ago? And now they have a really good team. And you not that I watch football a lot. I mean, they lost to the Jets last week, so I guess they're not that good. But that's a little dig for all you Eagles fans. But the the, the point I'm making is like you, you expect that they might win now. And as a Jets fan, as a Mets fan, as an Islanders fan, as a Knicks fan growing up, you never expected your teams to win a championship. Mm. They were always the underdog. And so you're right. I want the fucking status of the season starts and everybody just expects we're going to win. We can get stuck in that underdog mentality and mindset. So how do we get out of it? Because I, I, I genuinely believe in the scope of what we do, we are a championship team. Hmm. Uh, we are the championship team. It when I when I watch, I watch a lot of documentaries, and I watch a lot of reenactments and like historical drama and stuff like that. We have, in my mind, everything that these great companies of the past have. We have the people. We have the product. Now we have the processes, we have the purpose, we have, we have the timing. 
Like all of the things that typically hold companies back when you say that's why they failed. Mm, we have all of it. And so I'm just, I'm like, where, where, when, when does it pop in a way that is completely undeniable, transformative societally and culturally to the point that we achieve so much fucking success that people study how we did it to build their own companies. Because I believe that success for us is not we reinvent the healthcare and fitness system. It's that we demonstrate to the world that you can build a successful company with great people instead of building a great company in lieu of great people hmm. with technology. Like Deep down, I want these tech companies that are out there right now trying to, to build things to be successful. On the surface, I don't mind when they hiccup because it gives me an opportunity to be like, again, you're forgetting the fucking people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. We have all of the pieces, as you've described. So what's missing? There is, there's, there's a piece missing or there's a piece that there, there's something here. Mm-hmm. The first place that my mind goes to, knowing most of the people that we have on the team, is, is the, the collective conscious or the mindset mm-hmm. of the team. Well, so I need to figure out, here's something I'll ask you then in regards to that. I was explaining to Ken, my mentor this morning, um, one of the things I struggle with is the things that motivate me, the things that fire me up, generally speaking, scare the shit out of other people. Mm. And so if I were to put those things in play with the company, I think I... It's not good for morale. So different question. What about that scares people? Whatever you're, there's something It's highly competitive. It's just, it's, there is no hiding at all. And I'm not saying we have hiders on our team. I'm Mm -hmm. saying the reason why our team is really good is because some people on it aren't extremely competitive. Sure. And so if you had a team full of people who are hyper competitive, you don't have anybody holding it all together. Mm -hmm. And we have people on the team who have um, incredible ability to nurture other people. Those are people who I believe are less interested in being hyper-competitive and more interested in making sure that everybody feels a certain way. Mm-hmm. If I drive us in the direction of being hyper-competitive, I, ostracize those, I risk ostracizing those people when that's not at all the interest. If you don't make clear in the beginning your intention i'm listening i believe that's true because what you're discounting is all of those people on all ends of the spectrum and i agree with you that's what makes a great team is you have everybody and we've said this a bunch of time a players want to play with a players mm-hmm. we have a players mm-hmm. what you're describing is all right we've got a players and i've got what i believe to be a winning strategy but I'm not going to implement the strategy because I don't know how some A players are going to take it. No, I I misspoke then. I don't think it's the winning strategy. I know it's the Mm. winning strategy for me. Got it. I I love my back against the wall. Mm. I love it. That's because you like being an underdog. Is that because? I don't think it is. I think think the the favorite has just as much their back against the wall. Hmm. I like I come into when we play softball together. I'm not the player I was 
10 years ago. Mm. I still expect to get a hit every time up. That's not an underdog. I still expect if the ball is hit anywhere near me, I'm catching it. Mm. I had to, last week, I had to remind myself the worst case scenario is you run through that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so just be loud mm. and attack the ball. Like I forgot what it was like to do that. Mm. It felt so good to do that. I, I, I know what it is like to expect to win. I feel like people who expect to win keep score. And there's almost a level of the underdog maybe doesn't keep score because it doesn't matter. We're just gonna we're, we're going we're gonna try our best and we'll see what happens. Hmm. Maybe uh, that's where I diverge. Well, my underdog was I'm gonna fucking kill that guy. That sounds a lot like the same person you were just describing, who was it, gonna run through somebody. No, when I say run, I, I meant very literally. Like there's a pop up. Uh, I'm in left field. I'm running into the infield for it. The shortstop is running out. I'm looking up. He's looking up. It's 14 over softball. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> blast the guy who takes Advil just to show up. Yeah. So. I, I I played a little bit more timid than I wanted to the first few weeks. And then this week, I was just after everything. Mm -hmm. And I like the way that feels. It's how I want to do things with active life. It's how I want to do things in my role. And I'm just not exactly sure how to do that without steamrolling people who don't also get excitable about that. Are you making an assumption that it would be steamrolling? Or do I, you believe that that is actually... I'll give you an example. Um, if you're listening to this and you work at Active Life, uh, we're not doing this. But it's when I when I think about things, to, I, need to, I need to lay some groundwork here or people are going to potentially be upset. Got it. Um, when I think about things, I like to go all the way to the extreme. If that's successful and we decide to do it all the way, what does it look like at the end? And if we if we if we fail so terribly that it's unrecoverable, what does that look like at the end? And then which one can we fix easier? Right? So the end of total aggression, operation total aggression here, is we have a scoreboard for our mentors, for example. We have mentors whose full-time job is working either with coaches and ALP or with gym owners and ProPath. I would love our clients to somehow rate the performance of their mentors and for the income that our clients generate and the KPIs that we set for them, not just the income, right? Like we come up with an aggregate score, their income, their staff satisfaction, their client satisfaction, their profitability, all of it. They get some active life score. Mm -hmm. Who was in first place this month? Who was in last place this month? First place. Your responsibility is to pick up last place. There's no way that you should be doing that and not helping the person who came in last place. Last place, you just listen to what first place has to tell you. I love that. Mm -hmm. Because I would, I would fight my ass off to be in first place and maybe even more to never be in last place. Hmm. 
But I don't know that that's such a good cultural thing. Yeah, I agree with that. There's aspects of it mm-hmm. that I think are valuable there. Mm-hmm. It would be interest client feedback and right. having some system, better system of consistent client feedback. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that, right. Go on. Sorry. That plays into um, some sort of not a scoreboard, but some sort of an understanding of where potential strengths and opportunities lie. Well, right. And, and one of the things that came out of that thought experiment was we couldn't do it because we don't have all of the data we would need to do it. Mm. And so we go off of assumptions. And sometimes those assumptions are wrong. Like I was discussing with Ken this morning, what if we had insight, detailed insight to the finances of all of our clients and we found out that the average client who came in was doing about thirty to $35,000 a year in personal revenue. And a year later, they're doing, on average, $78,000 a year in personal revenue. So more than double in a year. And from a financial position that is is very difficult to a financial position that while not um, the dream state necessarily for a lot of people, certainly the dream state compared to a year ago, and we're just getting started, we would be forced to build a program or a mentorship or an evolution of our product in some way that helps the person doing $78,000 a year to eclipse a hundred and get into the $200,000 range without spending more time. Mm-hmm. And his response was, I think we can be pretty certain that's already happening. I said, yeah, doesn't that fucking suck? Like we can't be pretty certain that that's happening. I believe that is happening for most of our clients. Mm. And we don't have the thing that absolute certainty in that figure would drive if we had it. Mm. We don't have the data. We don't have that data. So what was interesting is the experiment of how would we, if we were to build a scorecard, what would be on it? Mm. Well, we don't have those pieces of information. Well, why don't we have them? Well, because this, this, and this, well, how do we change that? And now we'll have that information soon enough. Mm -hmm. So that's valuable. But I like wins and losses. Well, I listen to a bunch of podcasts on my drive. Um, a couple of business movers. So I finished all of Howard Schultz. Mm-hmm. I listened to some of Sam Walton. I couldn't get into it because his whole philosophy and mindset just right. about being the discount king yeah. fell off. But I listened to Warren Buffett. Mm-hmm. And Warren Buffett and Howard Schultz, one of the things that they had in common was at many different points in their journey as CEOs of their organization, they're like, I think we should do this thing. Like, and they had the firm, strong belief in it. And at one point they said, okay, no, whatever, we'll do something different. Mm -hmm. And it went terribly for the organization. Mm -hmm. What I am interested in is how you then, as the leader of this thing, one of the leaders of this thing, make the decision and determination not to follow your instinct on something. I can give you very clear examples of that because I discussed that this morning too. Okay. I walked in this morning and I was feeling myself mm-hmm. in a good way. Yeah. I think I was just excited that I'm going to work five days this week. It's been so long since I've had a five-day work week. Mm-hmm. And marrying... Nick, we're in town Thursday, Friday, and we we did some really inspiring stuff, and I was able to think a lot over the weekend. Um, 
I was explaining to Ken, in our we have Monday morning meetings, so I keep referring to it, and today's Monday as we record this. There have been scenarios in the company that I'm like, we need to do that. And then for a variety of reasons, we didn't. And I just relented. And every time I look back and I'm like, that was dumb. I should have fucking pushed. I should, I should have been more relentless about we're doing this. Yeah. I'm not asking. I'm asking how. I'm not asking if. Mm. Let me be more clear about this. And one example is I believe that a critical element to our growth in the future is always how do we add more value? How do we become a more valuable company? I don't think at this point in our in our evolution there's anything more valuable that we can do than to build a map that is constantly updating itself that lets everybody in the world know where they can find an ALP, an active life professional or an active life professional candidate, someone still going through the education. Then all of our focus for every department, whether you're an RX client looking to get out of pain without going to the doctor or giving up your active lifestyle, you want to become an ALP or you're a business owner looking to hire one, can go to the map and say, is there one near me? If we drive, for example, all of our traffic for RX, 70,000 Instagram followers and any dollar that we spend in the future on paid traffic, and we say, we only want you to work with us online if there isn't somebody who we have developed close to you. That's it. It's the only time we want to work with you online. Otherwise, we want you to go to someone else. Mm -hmm. I think we start sending hundreds of clients to our clients every year. I think that that makes ALP more valuable. For every person who does that, they're like, this is the best database in the world. There are no other coaches who can sniff the jock straps that these people wear. Mm. Everyone starts going to this map looking for these professionals. There's still going to be an abundance of people, unfortunately, right now, who are going to type their zip code and not find somebody. They're going to become our ex-clients of ours. Mm -hmm. We're going to be able to then put out, we signed up this many RX clients in these zip codes in the last six months. Why isn't there somebody going through our education serving this marketplace? There's a clear and present need for it. And we'll be able to start to look at the data of the markets that people are coming to us most often looking for help and start to target and place ALPs in those markets and ProPath gyms. People who want to employ several ALPs and solve these problems into these markets with some strategy, with some data. And that's a fairly complicated process. Yeah, It's going to cost some money. And it's money that... Um, we didn't necessarily have available in abundance to do. We didn't have necessarily the time. And it wasn't, it's not a surefire thing. It has to happen. That's an example of something that I thought of um, two years ago and relented on. Hmm. How do you then make the decision from a leadership standpoint on whether it's a good idea to go the if or the how route? I don't know. Hmm. That's what I'm working through. Because the next if and how is um, you've installed instilled a lot of confidence in me about what can happen inside of a flagship. Hmm. Our clients are starting to do the same. 
if I were asking, how do I put active life out of business or how do I beat them to that punch of opening a thousand facilities? I would open a school where we can educate somebody on all the stuff that goes into ALP in three months instead of 13. Hmm. That would include all of the soft skills that you and I discussed that, that we've been putting the staff through since the, team. the beginning of time, the team since the beginning of time. And I would just overwhelm the market with it. I would have, I, I would fundraise to build this school. I would have full-time staff who work at this school. I would have people flying in to live here for three months at a time to graduate from this school. I'd have a washout rate. Not everyone would finish. <clears throat> and then we'd have facilities that are getting ready to get opened that we're funding. And we're just placing in places that we know are going to work. There'd be a leadership development element and there'd be a client service element that develops. And we would just be putting these people all over the place as fast as possible. That is a, that's an if, not a how. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that's an if, not a how, and the map is a how, not an if. Hmm. It's, it seems bigger. Which? The, the school. Yeah. I, you know what, I, I, think, I think perhaps it's because I know I have to give up some control. Mm. Like one of the things that I've seen <clears throat> in studying entrepreneurs and, uh, large companies in the history of development of startups to big company is when you have a business that is meant to just make as much money as possible, raising money makes sense. When you have a business that is meant to fundamentally change the way that people live and think, and then you go raise money, you have to be really careful where you raise it. Mm -hmm. Because if I, let's, let's just pretend I raised a hundred million dollars. That makes news. The people who put that money in, um, they don't want to look foolish and they don't want to throw their money away. So they're going to want to make a return on that money. And so there's going to be a timeline on that return. And if we don't start providing return on that timeline, there are going to be consequences. My biggest fear is not even my own fate within the company. It's the direction of the company going in the direction of money for the sake of money hmm. and losing the sense of purpose. And so I feel like it needs to be in a time where I have enough influence that the money coming in is coming in because of the influence, not because of the, uh, the guarantee of return. Is it then more of a when and not an if? Yeah, but yes, but... That's only because that's how I understand things today. Hmm. And I imagine time and experience can show me a different way that would make that way not necessary. I don't know. Hmm. But in the end, I think uh, what I'm happy that we discussed here is I don't have it all figured out at all. And I know you don't have it all figured out at all either. And I want people to know that despite not having it all figured out, we have enough figured out to be fucking dangerous. Yeah. I just I, I think that the more that we can come out and say, we don't have it all figured out, we don't have it all figured out, we don't have it all figured out, and we're still your best option. 
and we're a damn good option. And you would never know that we don't have it figured out until we do the thing that we haven't figured out yet. Mm. The better we're going to be. Well, with all of those 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 podcasts I was listening to and the the books after they took a lot of risks and a lot of the shit didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Some things really did. Mm -hmm. And every failure contained within it a lesson that they were able to take from that and implement and install and create something way better Mm -hmm. than they had believed in version 1.0. I mean, the flagship, the thing that it is today in October Mm -hmm. is a out of my imagination of what it was going to be this time last year. Yeah. Just the, the way that it operates and the people and like how we're doing all of the things. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge opportunity here for, all right, the mentality is that we're no longer the underdogs. Mm-hmm. We are actually on the championship run. We are. We're on the we're on the first championship run of the start of a dynasty. I like that. Turn pro.